you know, I'm, I feel better today after hearing uh, Biden speak about some things about what's going to happen in the next few months, but, or the next month or so. But I feel better watching you drink that beer. <laughs> That's Same. Making, that's making, I can't realize I had a Same. beer during the day. This is not usual for me. Same. It's 2021. I mean, you figure if you're going to go out, you might as well eat all those chocolates and uh, suck down all those things you're not supposed to while you have a chance. Right. Big city, yeah. Kansas City. How you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts, episode 10. I'm your host, Patrick Spray. I remember to tell you today because it's a new year. We are here in the home of our producer, Chris Mowry. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Patrick. It's January 8th, so we are a full week past the start of the new year. But we are very excited to be here. Uh, we are super thrilled to have been able to start this podcast last year. Our goal was to bring in members of the music industry, music community, music venues, record labels, record stores, recording studios, music mind organizations, music media and press, really anybody that's music related, and try to tell a little bit about their stories, the person behind the person in the role for that particular organization or or venue. We also wanted to ask them to talk a little bit about some good things they feel an affinity for in Kansas City, as well as what are some areas of need or change in the music community. And Chris, I feel like for the first nine episodes, mission accomplished. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's gone really well. It's And, and we hear some common themes. We hear a lot about the tightness of the community here, mm-hmm. people welcoming each other. We hear about how uh, people put aside egos to try to make partnerships and collaborations. Mm -hmm. We had an event just last week, SOSKC, which is an acronym for Save Our Stages, to benefit record bar and independent music venues. And it was fantastic. Uh, The mayor got involved. We had about a dozen people offer testimonials about the importance of music, some national artists, against some local organizations here. People, very heartfelt messages. We raised some money for Record Bar. The artists made a little bit of cash, too. And we'd really like to see some more of those events continue in the future because it's not going away. We just mentioned it is the start of a new year, but it's not like the pandemic, the economy, racial injustice were just swept away at midnight on January 1st. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot, lot more work to do. So what we decided to do today, everybody, is just try to do a little bit of a recap. I kind of find it funny every year when we have like these best of lists and the year's not over yet right <laughs> that's also just an excuse for us to say we didn't have our act together and put this together until sooner the end of the year and so what we've done is we tried to pull out just a couple of minutes from each of our nine episodes learn a little bit more about our guest and then find a couple of segments where they talk about great things in kansas city or areas that we can prove and we're going to start today with episode one, my business partner, Jim Andrews. He's the CEO of Center Cut Records. He talks a little bit about his life in Kansas City, his role with Andrews McNeil Publishing, where he is part owner, and really the reason why we got Center Cut started and what our mission is. After that, we're gonna listen to a bit of Center Cuts, Center Cuts episode two with Michelle Bacon, who's the Bridges Radio Content and Database Manager. Michelle's gonna also talk a little bit about her life, what brought her into the music community in Kansas City, as well as what she's currently doing her position at the bridge. In addition, good things about Kansas City and something Kansas City needs. So strap yourselves in, everybody. 
We're going to kind of get our greatest hits rolling here, and we'll catch you here after a couple of segments. center cut so what in the heck happened how did we go from you owning running a publishing company to deciding to start a record label well as i alluded to earlier we uh were turning 50 and seeing uh the sort of expiration date (laughs) pass before (laughs) our eyes and uh i think at that point you know i'd always wanted to get into music and i always knew that i wanted you to do it with me because you're just a living uh, encyclopedia. No, speak uh, for yourself. Of knowledge, so I knew it was it was it was an easy uh, uh, hire to to bring you aboard with me on this journey. But um, yeah, just always felt like I wanted to get into music, and uh, and more than that, Kansas City. You know, we had been looking around Kansas City, you know, this is five, seven years ago, and really starting to see a groundswell of uh, new acts, of new venues, of new festivals, of a lot of new things happening. In this Absolutely. Town, which it, and we were seeing a lot of great musicians, too. And, you know, just the idea of trying to take some of those and expose them to, you know, the nation and the world. Which is really uh, what you'd been doing, right? With the Andrew McNeil, for sure. Yeah, there's there's a lot of comparisons to what I've been doing at AMP. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm thinking this was probably spring of 2017 when you first started putting a bug in my ear one yeah. late evening on your patio, I believe, about would you ever want to do something different? Right. And like Jim, I I've been a teacher my whole life. I love teaching. I love all that grammar love writing, I love adolescence, I love teenagers, so it wasn't like, oh, I hate my job. But I, I seem to remember that you started to spend a little bit of more time at a particular record store. Yes. And um, that's, I think, how things got kicked off. Do you want to elaborate on that? Um, well, I would say, you know, absolutely. You know, at, at that time, I think we started to, to branch out and do a little research, uh, mm-hmm. both of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Mary and Merritt, uh, Records with Merritt, would spend a lot of time talking with her because mm-hmm. she has a lot of knowledge um, about local musicians, for one, and um, and but also the business and, and how she, you know, works her record store and how she orders records and and all of that. So Ma- it, was, it was a very uh, easy place for me to go and get an answer. Marion had come from... 
20 years, I think. Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. I believe she had worked, I believe with Ann Stewart, with her partner, business partner. Were they both there together? Uh, I believe Ann was in, uh, she wasn't in the music department, but she was, I think, up in the book area. So kind of like or us. manager. I think maybe she was even a manager. Obviously, we did not come, I did not, the host did not come prepared with my homework here. Mm. I believe in some ways, you know, they did what we aspired to do, which was to make a change. Yeah. While they had the opportunity, right, and I bet that was probably in the back of your head. Well, you know, we see Marion and Ann having a successful record store here, and yeah, and she really took me under her wing, and mm -hmm. was, you know, we had many lunches, and she's been very influential, as you know, in the start of this label. What Kansas City's doing right is it is a great community for artists and the support for each other and the respect for each other, the collaboration amongst yeah. artists was something that we've been very excited about where you've got all sorts of cross pollination where right. you would think this one artist who normally plays, I'm just making this up blues, mm -hmm. they fit very well into an EDM group. You know, and we, we've harped on this for a long time, but, um, and we've talked to our artists and we've talked to other artists out of town that have said, you know, that doesn't really happen in my town. Mm-hmm. Time, countless times. But it it happens here, and I I don't know what's in the water, or if it's a Midwestern thing or what. But yeah, the collaboration and support of each other here is outstanding. This is 2015, um, so at that point I was like, okay, well, you know, I want to find a platform that's going to be more uplifting to our artists because that's the whole point of doing this in the first place. Mm -hmm. And ar around that time, John Hart and I met up, and he took me to Woodyard Barbecue. Oh, great! <laughs> and that was awesome. But he had talked to me about like, well, you know, do you want to write a story for the Bridge every month or every couple weeks or whatever? And then it turned into. A contract job there and I was working there like 20 hours a week and then they eventually uh, hired me on full-time as content manager. I, I think John's got a pretty good eye for talent. Absolutely. And I, I think he does a lot to not only nurture the station itself but mm -hmm. the, the people that work there, the people mm -hmm. that they're trying to interact with. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But two years ago now, that was when roughly, mm -hmm. what's your, tell me your exact title. My exact title is Radio Content and Database Manager. So what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that too, which is hilarious. I'm not totally sure. Content, content, content. <laughs> but mostly, yeah. Um, so, But my basic job there is I manage pretty much all the digital content, um, and I kind of make sure all of our messaging is consistent across mm. uh, on-air, online. Super you know. important. Now, do, yeah. you, do you have control when I think about you, you've got a nice mixture of like national coverage mm -hmm. or you're sharing that mm -hmm. local artist as well or things happening in the community. Is that like up to you or do you just find a bunch of stuff? And uh, A lot of it is up to me. So we also are partners with Kansas City PBS, which was formerly KCPT and mm -hmm. then Flatland, which is a digital magazine. Right. So we all work really closely together with them. And so as far as like editorial stuff goes for digital content, I work a lot with Chris Lester, who is the Flatland managing editor, mm -hmm. and he's also a huge music lover. So, mm -hmm. so the great thing about 
him and all the people that work at the bridge is like we're all music lovers and we all want to our mission is to foster music discovery whether it's national artists or like some huge artists or some artists you've never heard of mm -hmm. um so so i do in answer to your question i do get a lot of freedom with what i get to write about or what that's great I pitch to other people to write about just because we're all like on that same page of like yeah of course gotcha. we want to help push out these artists no matter who they are you also wrote a piece maybe three months ago too for flatland though that was not oh, music yeah. centered mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about that that was yeah um that was i think at kind of the beginning of the pandemic or maybe mid midpoint i don't even know again yeah it's concept of time right? we don't know Working yeah on it. so i wrote something called i think it was the age of coronavirus quarantine diary and kind of just talked about my experiences as an asian american person because i had seen that there was a lot more discrimination happening around the coronavirus um, kind of starting with the administration's assignment of it being <laughs> the China laugh. virus or the Wuhan virus or Kung flu or whatever terrible things have been yes. assigned to it. Um, and, and so I've seen a lot of videos about Asian Americans being spit upon and just, you know, just terrible things happening, people being yelled at for looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it started making me think a lot more about my position, who I am, what I represent to other people, even though, you know, you might know nothing about me except just seeing my face. And mm -hmm. and so I kind of just talked about my upbringing and, and kind of what you were going back to, talking about like kind of a weird uh, displaced identity. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely something I've thought more about, especially over the last few months, because I do have the privilege of not having to worry about it all the time. Um, as far as like Asian people being a quote unquote model minority, but then it kind of is a flip side where you're expected to do something super well. And if you don't, then, you know, the your expectations, somebody else's expectations are dashed. And then you maybe will be looked upon poorly for that. I don't know. Uh, but again, you know, it's like I do have a lot of privilege just looking the way I look. So that was one of the first times I guess I had really, really thought about like, oh, wait, not everybody sees me <laughs> in that light. I do really love the communal feel of Kansas City. It is a growing city. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for at least the past five, maybe 10 years, people have started calling it like this little secret because it's, it's a great place to live. It's very mm -hmm. affordable. We do have some great arts and culture here. Um, so it's a real city, but also sometimes feels like a small town, which can be good and bad. But, right. But, you know, it's just that whole communal vibe. And I, I say it a lot with the independent music scene here, at least parts of it. You know, we, we do try to support each other. Um, it's, it's a lot about, at least to me um, and a lot of musicians I know, it's a lot about just supporting each other and not competing against each other, you know. Yeah. Lifting we each other up. All right, welcome back to Center Cuts. We just listened to a couple snippets from our first two episodes with James Andrews and Michelle Bacon. And for episode three, we invited in Steve Tulipana, who's co-owner of Record Bar. Steve talks a little bit about how Record Bar got started, 
his career as a musician, and he especially talks about how COVID has impacted venues and what people can do to get involved specifically with the Save Our Stages move mm-hmm. movement. After that, we're going to hear from Ann Stewart, who is co-owner of Records with Merit. Again, Ann, like our other guests, is going to talk a little bit about her life, what led her to starting a record store with Marion, and really about some great things in Kansas City, specifically her neighborhood, and about how we've all pulled together during the pandemic. So tune in for a couple more episodes, and we'll be right back. So you started Record Bar 15 years ago. Yeah. So deal. To, to, to really roundabout way answer the question, I just kept thinking, you know, my dad's, what are you going to do? And I'm like, someday I'm going to have my own club. I'm going to have my own little bar. You know, and mm-hmm. Sean and I would talk about it. We lived together for a long time. And then he he was in Shiner. But then when he stopped being in Shiner, he went on tour with us a couple of times, you know. God, you guys uh, cross-pollinate. I heard about the Shiner Farm Team. It oh, sounded yeah. like you yeah. all were uh, poaching or just... Yeah. And you I can't went believe through that. a lot of drummers, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like Spinal Tap. It was except they weren't dying. We worked them hard, man. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's aggressive, hard stuff, you know. It takes a, a special temperament to, you know... Well, and I'm going to suggest that it takes a special temperament type of person to actually start that bar or club because i think of countless artists musicians like oh yeah you know i'm just gonna do it whereas you and sean you actually did it yeah we we i mean we were always kind of looking around kansas city for something but mm-hmm. we never nothing ever other nothing ever we couldn't find it we really wanted to be it we knew that kansas city was changing and downtown was gonna was it was looking like you know downtown kansas city's mm-hmm. gonna happen like they're mm-hmm. doing all this stuff and we, but we just started too late, you know. Um, I loved the space in Westport. Uh, yeah, it was cool. When it, that just the Malloy brothers had heard, and they were just like, "We went out. We need to be out by July. You need to buy it by July." And here's our offer, and you know. And I was like, "Can we make this happen?" And we were in Chicago. We were we had just started Roman numerals, and we were recording in Chicago. And mm-hmm. Roman numerals had signed a deal that was that said we had to tour uh, ninety days, at least ninety days that year it, and we had the, all the shows had to be at least something like 200 miles outside of Kansas City so any show that didn't count is like your tour obligation so we, we're, so we went to New York twice we went to LA and, we, and Seattle we, and we were opening a club at the same time that's awesome we're absolutely insane that's awesome. people that space I think what was so charming is not the right word but it was almost like, and I probably shouldn't say this, almost like tailgating and the fact that, you know, that parking lot oh, just yeah. made it very conducive to take your time as far as rolling on in and, yeah. you know, maybe getting yourself primed up to enjoy it. I always loved yeah. the, the, it, the, the it, sight lines. It, I mean, you were just right on top of the stage. I clearly remember, God, I saw so many good shows there, Steve. Uh, I'll say something that I had never even thought of until you just said that, like considering that parking lot tailgating, because we missed the parking lot. We know the customers really like missed having that and we don't have it downtown but probably totally illegal though causing you problems that's what i'm saying we never <laughs> really had i mean never had too too many problems that i can think of but mm-hmm. but now that i think about like p- 
people probably bought less booze. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did. Which Sorry. is the only thing that kept us open, you know? Like, <laughs> it was probably why it was such a struggle because everybody's like, how, how's our average ticket price only $10? Like, yeah. we already got hammered in the parking lot. We were throwing keggers out of the back <laughs> like, of our station like, wagon. Well, I just, I'm like, oh. So maybe being downtown with no parking lots is, is that's why we it's gone so good we until grills. this COVID thing. It's a big day for you in two days. It's the 15-year anniversary Kickstarter campaign at Lemonade Park to benefit Record Bar. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about how COVID, pandemic, economies impacting venues across the country. I mean, it's just decimated them. So many have already just given up. And uh, I mean, even with even with any, we got we got PPP loans. Um, none of that was that wasn't designed for our industry. Our industry already doesn't it doesn't work like other industries. You know we. We are we we work when there is work to do, and then we we take a day off when there's no show or there's nothing. So it's like mm-hmm. there's just in, in you know you can you can work forty hours in three days if if you you know I mean mm-hmm. because of the nature of load ins and and uh, how late events go and et cetera et cetera. So it's not it's not that we're not working. So I like to try to explain to people it's not like. Like we got this easy job. Like we work, we work a lot. Sometimes we work sixty hours and eight, seventy, eighty hours a week, depending if the events mm-hmm. are there. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but when they're not there, the problem is, the tours can't happen. You can't get in a van or a, a bus and and know that this from city to city things are different. If you're if you get sick on the road, mm-hmm. you know. So ba- bands have just had to to to, you know, even if. Yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say. As, it, as a venue owner, too, I remember at the beginning, there were all sorts of restrictions, like you're going to have right. to like 10% capacity. And it's like, oh, yeah. I can't take this money because I'm not even going to break even. Right. It, yeah. it just wasn't very advantageous for you. What are some things the community can do to try to support our venues, which in so, turn support staff at the venues, which in turn obviously support the artists, touring, I mean, all engineers, all sorts of things. Right. Um, I mean... Right now, we're we're a member of the of NIVA, which is National Independent Venues Association. N I V A. What's yes. that website for uh, our listeners? It's like N I V A Org. Is that what that is? I need to look that up. I'm not okay. sure. I just I go to their save their stages. Save. I our do stages. save our stages. I do too. There's a way to find it. Okay. Hashtag save our stages. caused you then to take that plunge and decide to get out of Barnes and Noble slash retail and start a record store because that's just nuts. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, so you you, t- you speak of Marion and anybody who shopped at the plaza came across Marion, but half the city bought a CD or a DVD from Marion. Mm-hmm. She at the time when when that store was at its heyday she had the largest music store oh, yeah. in the region. I mean, she she ran that and people knew Marion and they knew they could trust her. And mm-hmm. she really, um, so in 20, 20, beginning of 2014, she had slowed down. She didn't want to manage that department anymore because, you know, quite frankly, uh, that company was changing. And she wasn't happy with the direction it was going in and she just wasn't happy. And so we looked at each other and, 
it is it is something several years before that when when um, we had learned that Jack White had launched his vinyl van. We looked at each other and said, "God, what a great idea!" Yeah, we could buy a van. We could go down to the crossroads on first Fridays or on weekends or hang out outside a concert and and do something like that. So we seriously looked into buying a van and, and trying to figure out how to make that work. And mm. then sort of when 2014 came, it's like, well, or we could just open brick and mortar. And that was just, you know, <laughs> um, after it was, just, it was starting to come back. I mean, at the time, Vinyl Wren, um, Judy had been open not even a year yet, about six months. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know what, you know, with Marion's background in music. I mean, she was the little kid with the transistor to her ear from the age of three to forever. Like mm-hmm. it was with her at all times, you mm-hmm. know, her, her deep knowledge, um, her work on KKFI for, for all those years. And, and it just seemed like the natural progression for her. So we opened up in um, May of 2014. I stayed at Barnes and Noble for a year, but it, it, my heart wasn't in it. And it was also about to kill me. Mm. literally it was like if i don't get off this hamster wheel i will be hospitalized yeah so um we we i committed you know full time to that and and that's all she wrote so had i'm assuming you two had been seeing each other prior to that decision we yeah yeah, we we've been together now we've even lost track because we're that old people um i think we've been (laughs) together about 12 years um wow okay yeah. So okay. when, when I when I first went to work for the first year I was at Barnes and Noble, in very typical Marian fashion, she pretended not to know who I was, um, even though I had to sit across from her at a manager meeting, you know, every Monday. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, one of her first her her opening line to me was, "Hey, I wanted to send you a copy of this." And I think it was a podcast or or some webinar. She's like, "Now, what's your name?" I'm like, really, Marian? A year. Love it. Love, Love it. Plain oh boy. That's so typical, Marion. That's the way you do it. She's smooth. She's smooth like that. So, so yeah. So you, you'd been together for four years, three years? My mask's a little off right now. Shouldn't have had that sip of that well, cocktail. That. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the, you know, the great thing for us is we have always lived together and worked together. And mm. so, it's that's never been you know we were we were made for a pandemic bring it on that, but, you know i can't help but filter everything through the last six months mm-hmm. and and, I, and, I, and that goes into in in the question about what do we do going forward i don't have the answer to that i don't know um what my observation of, over the last six months is we're seeing the best of humanity and the worst of humanity but what i'm seeing in our kansas city communities i work in the volker neighborhood and i live in the south high park neighborhood and mm-hmm. both neighborhoods um are, are are really lovely and and very conscious about looking out for one another and checking in with one another and what do you need and how can i help you neighbor and and just mm. being, being part of that and being part of in the south high park being home for two months which i hadn't done in ever in my life right. and so to to get to know to know neighbors and 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 help each other out and this is what I've got that I can't use in my house would you like it and can I offer it for free to you and, and what do you how can I help you just watching that and you know when we when it was getting time to um reopen on May 15th and I kind of had a panic attack the week before because I felt a lot of pressure because um 
my partner Marion is in three high risk groups, and I and I had a a lot of concern about you know am I going to be bring bringing something home to her? And right. I I have to be very very careful. And then it, within an hour, I was like, what are you what are you thinking? The Kansas City vinyl community and the Kansas City music community are lovely, and. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to re- respect each other and they're going to respect my business and respect my partner. And I don't have anything to worry about. And I haven't had anything to worry about. So just witnessing, um, witnessing that, witnessing small business who's, who dared to open up during a pandemic and people who flock to support them. I know it might sound funny, maybe slightly absurd, but his hands are equally skilled. What's going on here? Welcome back to Center Cuts. Thanks so much for listening a little bit to our last two guests, Steve Tulipana from Record Bar and Ann Stewart from Records with Merit. We're going to move on to episode five now. We were fortunate to have Sarah Bradshaw, the Bridge Music Coordinator, join Michelle Bacon as part of her series with Center Cuts called Station to Station, which is partially based off the David Bowie album, but Michelle Mm -hmm. gives a little bit more information about the impetus of that if you want to check out the full episode. And I should remind everybody, all these are longer episodes. We're just trying to pull out a couple of sections here where we find out a little bit about the guest life and some great things in Kansas City or things that we need to work on. Sarah's going to talk a little bit about her early career and how she started at the bridge. And really interesting conversation Sarah has with Michelle is the changes the bridge has made recently to reflect some diversity in their playlists. Mm -hmm. Episode six, we talk with Brenton Cook, owner of Haymaker Records. Brenton's been a huge help to the label getting us started. He talks a little bit about how he started his own record label, Haymaker Records, working with the Midwest Music Foundation talks about how Kansas City really offers some great affordability still for artists and that may also have some challenges in that it holds people back sometimes into pursuing music fully as a full-time career. And then episode seven, we're going to speak with Mark Manning who hosts the Wednesday Midday Medley at KKFI. He is also an educator, a gardener, really just a beautiful human being. Mark's going to talk a little bit about why KKFI is so important, the mission of KKFI, getting people to come into his program as guests. He's also going to talk about the purpose uh, to have that program and how the KC music community really sticks together to, to support each other as often as possible. I really do. I love I love my job, man. I feel incredibly fortunate 
mm-hmm. that I'm able to do what I do on a daily basis is kind of mind blowing. So yeah, I know you got involved with the bridge very very early on. I did. That's another thing. I feel very fortunate in that I actually used my degree because. So my bachelor's is in broadcast media, and. I started volunteering at the bridge when I was in college, back when it was in Warrensburg. And, you know, you can work there as a student. So I started volunteering and then I eventually worked into a student position. And then I decided to go get my master's degree at UCM because I figured out that if I got my master's, it would allow me to continue a couple more years as a student so I could keep my student position at the bridge. (laughs) And it was like, you know, There were a lot of reasons why. I also found out that I really enjoyed teaching. And and so, um, yeah, so I had, I've worked at the bridge. And then it came time to not work at the bridge anymore because (laughs) I had to graduate eventually. I was not about to Van Wilder that situation. (laughs) So I, um, and so then I went to teach for a couple years. And then John let me know that they were moving up here. And he invited me to come up here. And I interviewed and the rest is history. Yeah, so the whole reason this podcast exists is to shine a light on the great artists and performers we have here in town. So obviously that's a lot of what the bridge brought to Kansas City when you came here from Warrensburg. So so yeah, and you were kind of part of that vision. I was, and again, and I feel very fortunate that I was able to do that. And, and you know, John Hart, again, he, he called me, um, and he, it's, it's his baby, man. Like, the bridge wouldn't be here if not for John Hart. And... He always had a vision of keeping it local. I mean, that was really his thing. It was like, you know, his his whole statement and, you know, one that is used by many people, I'm sure. But, um, you know, the, even the Beatles were local to Liverpool, you know. And so it was like, it was one of those things like we know that Kansas City has an amazing music scene. It's a shame that it doesn't have somebody to represent it why let's try to fill that as much as possible let's try to be that instrument and so keeping that national and international music discovery going while also asserting that look this musicianship that we have is on par with all of these phenomenal acts that we're already playing why don't we play them throughout the regular playlist and that really is a thing that a lot of radio stations can't or or won't do and so you know, being able to be part of that vision has been pretty cool. Yeah, and that was one thing that really struck me because it's very meaningful to the bands that I've been in. You know, it's like, again, playing local artists in rotation with these national, international touring artists, and it creates a little bit more value, I think, to us externally, to the audience, you know. Yeah. Um, So that's something that I was really interested in when I came to the bridge too. I mean, we are a listener supported radio station and as and one of the things that we hear from people when they become members of the bridge time and again is it I come to you for the local. And that's what it is. Yep. And you've got to take that seriously. And the cool I mean what the really awesome thing about it is that it's like we honestly don't have to even like try that hard to search it out, which right? I think speaks yeah. volumes to the Kansas City mu- area music scene. Mm-hmm. It's like the stuff just falls in the lap, man. It, it like the submissions come in all the time, and we have enough on a constant basis to keep putting new music on air, just like we do with national and international artists. We have enough content to keep that up to date, just as much as the other stuff. And that, to me, I think really 
just one more thing that really speaks volumes to the just crazy amount of good musicianship that we have in this community. And so being able to fulfill that role, even that much more important. It's vital. Over half of the records, more than that, I'd say probably 75%. And I'm just pulling these. I don't have the exact percentages, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say a majority of the music that we got worked on a regular basis were white guys. And that was it for a very long time. And so there would be, you know, some women sprinkled in there sporadically, um, maybe women of color, you know, maybe men of color every once in a long while. But it was not something that was a majority. And John, at first, he worked very, very hard to make sure even just the, the male to female ratio was as even as possible because and, and, you know, had to search those records out because they weren't being worked to him. Those submissions weren't coming in and the, the submissions from the record labels weren't coming in. And how much of that is systemic, right? How much of that plays into the culture? How much of it goes down to, to the same exact reason why even just from a gender standpoint, not even starting to work in diversity when it comes to race, from a gender standpoint, if you look at the majority of doctors, lawyers, engineers, does that also flow over into the music industry? And I think absolutely. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And so talking about problems that the industry face, I mean, I think it, the same problems face the music industry that face a lot of industries. Mm -hmm. And I think the lens is on right now. It, the microphone is open. And it's just, again, making sure that the lens stays on and the microphone mm -hmm. stays open. because we've, And it, it is up to people who have the ability to make those changes to stay cognizant and to stay focused and to make sure that they're sustaining those changes even when things, quote unquote, if they calm down, which honestly, when it comes to this, I don't think they can calm down. I don't think they need to calm down because I think people need to stay aware because mm -hmm. they, these inequities exist and it's time for a change. Yeah, and, and you're really talking about the awareness aspect of it. That's the important thing as far as like, why this is happening now, you know, because I do hear comments from people that are like, well, you're just doing this because this is what's happening in America. And it's like, no, this is, it's an evolving thing. And I know that we have, we've seen this at the station. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the last few years, because our playlist has evolved a bit more, you know, it's like, like you said, there's always been attention paid to, um, with, to rep representation and, that was something I learned early on. It's like I heard so many female artists on the bridge. Yeah. Um, more than I feel like I've heard on any other station. Um, so I knew before I even really knew about how the playlist was curated that there was there was a lot of careful attention paid to that. Is that what led you to start Haymaker Records? Was it the compilations or just some experience working with artists, trying to figure out how to get their music to a broader audience? I, I would say it's a combination of all those things. Um, I really got a passion when I was working for the radio station yeah. back in Rolla. And um, uh, 
you know, but also, yeah, doing those first three compilations, I got to meet so many musicians and they were just really open and receptive to the idea of, you know, giving a track up for this idea that I had. And I just thought that was amazing that I could dream this up and that these people would, would be that generous with their art. And um, after doing three of those, I was like, you know, I can do this. I, I know all the ins and outs of, of, of this music industry, I guess, sort of. Um, I'm like, I, I think I can maybe run a record label and do focus on like exactly what I want to do. And um, that's kind of where Haymaker came about. And I formed it in 2014. I was going to say, so this is six plus years. Yeah, I think I'm on the yeah, sixth year. Okay, I had done a little bit of research. I mean, when we started the label, and we've mentioned this, at least in the first program with Jim, I mean, Brent, really, you were the first person, not including Marion, Merritt, and Ann Stewart, and Mark Manning, too, but like the first person like at a label that actually gave us some guidance. And of course, your question was like, <laughs> are you sure you guys want to do this? Or <laughs> why? So now I'm going to just flip that question. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, payback. Sure. What, I mean, did it just happen? Was that like a conscious choice? Like I'm going to start a record label? Cause you, you're working for Cerner full time. That's never changed. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you've got, you know, tons of free time or something. No, absolutely not. So the question is, well, <laughs> why? <laughs> what the F are you thinking? <laughs> no. Yes. Why? What actually led to you in, what was that process like? Your first, what, your first release? Uh, my first release was the Jorge Arana Trio, uh, the Oso EP. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, uh, basically what I was noticing is some of the music that I was getting really deep, deep into wasn't very well represented in Kansas City by some of the record labels that were out at the time. Okay. And, um, I don't know, I felt like there needed to be an, an archive, a, a timestamp of this music um, that wouldn't have necessarily been put out in a physical form otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I had some bands that were just doing amazing things like the Jorge Arana Trio. The first time I saw them, I was like, I love this. I, I don't know any other bands that sound like this. Um, they're super tight. It's not like anything I've heard before. I mean, I'd, I'd listened to a lot of math rock and stuff before that. And that was the closest thing I could really compare their sound to what they were doing. And I, when I saw them for the first time, I was like, this is, this is the band I want to put out first. I just knew. Oh, really? I didn't know any of the guys in the band at that point. I saw them and I was like, I told them, I, you know, it's, I was starting a record label and I, I was really interested in having them be my first artist on the label. And Wow. That's how that all happened. In some ways, because it is a little bit affordable to live here, you're like you can have a job and have a band on the side. And there's maybe not always the push to make that band your profession. Whereas if you were living in New York and you're like, I'm going to be a professional musician, everything gets thrown into that. And you, you take it as far as you can take yeah. it. In Kansas City, I feel like sometimes just because of the ability to kind of do this on the side and still live comfortably and um, you maybe don't go that extra length to, to go all in. Mm. 
be a good thing or that could be a bad thing. It just depends on interesting. what you're interested in doing. Very interesting. You, the fact that you can make enough money though, working even part time to potentially have a place to stay and you have basic necessities while pursuing your art has got to be very attractive. But yeah. on the hand, as you mentioned, that also might stop people from going whole hog because it's, it's perhaps more comfortable to be able to do both here than somewhere else where you get like, I'm, I'm going to be a rock star. And I got to go do this 24 seven. Yeah. yeah you know, I'm just thinking back to conversations like I, I had with Schwervon, for example, and in New York, they were, you know, just doing everything just to scrap by up there. It's so expensive to live in New York. And when they first moved back to Kansas city, they loved it because they were like, you know, we can tour on, on either coast and get there really quickly. But, um, you know, we're not spending every ounce of our, of our energy just yeah. barely scrape by, you know, yeah. they can focus more on the music and go on tours when they need to. And mm -hmm. so it, it worked, it worked okay for them. I think, um, I, I also know on the flip side that I know some, some bands that, you know, maybe had a, a member in their band that, that was felt a little more settled in Kansas city and then didn't want to go touring. They, they just wanted to stay here. Maybe they had a family or something and yeah, it kind of held, held the band back a little because they were not able to go on the road as much as they mm -hmm. did too. So. Right. It's not, it's not an easy life. It's I, not at all. Not like no. a professional baseball player or something, you know, you really, I mean, if you want to go big and you want to go far, you have to give it your all. Yeah, and, and I also have this feeling about KKFI mm. um, because it's a community radio station, right? which makes it different from any other station. Mm -hmm. Like, I like to remind people, we have 75 locally produced radio programs that are weekly. Mm -hmm. What other TV or radio station has 75 mm -hmm. locally produced radio? I mean, can you imagine? Right. And there's like over 100 volunteers that create content for each of those 75 different shows right. every week and that's unheard of and we have a mission at kkfi to present things that are underrepresented in mm -hmm. other media that's mm -hmm. really our mission mm -hmm. and so we're not going to be the station where you're going to tune in to hear lady gaga or madonna mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's plenty of representation in other media for both of those artists mm -hmm. so we're going to be the place that's going to play and in my opinion, we should be the place that that is the first place where you go to find out about what's happening in the local community. Mm -hmm. And for many, many years, we were the only place for that to be. Mm. You know, um, KKFI has been around for 32 years now. Mm -hmm. And so many people, the first time they ever got played on the radio was KKFI because because people were that it's just it's made by people from the neighborhood. Like people right around us right now outside that live on Rock Hill Road mm -hmm. also contribute to KKFI. Sure. It's, it's, it's right from the, the community. And so I when I first started doing the Midday Medley, at first I'm like, oh, I can just play all of my favorite music, you know? Yeah. And for a couple of years, that's what I did. But then the more I did the show, 
the more local music artists started coming and saying, can I come on the show and talk about something? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I guess I can fit you into the show, you know? Right, right. I have to, I have to remove 15 minutes of the songs I want to play, you know? Mm-hmm. But then it just started changing. Like Abigail Henderson from Midwest Music Foundation mm-hmm. was really a huge influence on me because she came on and said, you know, we'd like to think of this as our show. Mm. And it, and I'm like, huh, you know, it's it it isn't my show. I don't KKFI basically owns the all the shows on the mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. It's not my show. It belongs to the community. Right. So if I'm going to live up to that idea, I have to truly live up to that idea. And so I I think around about 10, 11 years ago, I had a big shift where I like totally changed how I do the show completely and turned it over completely to the community. And it's now, I just tell people, if you want to come on the show, just call me. And I have between 150 and 200 guests a year on mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And I try to play, you know, hundreds of local releases and try to be um, the place where you can go to find out about bands in Kansas City that you may not know about. And since then, the bridge has come around mm-hmm. and they kind of do a lot of what I wanted to do with the show in the first place, you mm-hmm. know, um, but, but still they can't keep track of everything on their bridge. Yeah. And they have their own algorithm and their own, you know, way of putting their playlist together. Um, but I kind of decided that um, I want to devote huge amounts of the show to local music and then also mix that with national releases that are new yeah. also. Yeah. And then, and then in the last four or five years, I've become, really obsessed with making the show be equal so that in a playlist of 18 songs nine of them should be femme voices and the other nine can be masculine voices right and divide it up that way and then also at least 40 percent of the show be people of color at least i feel like that you're intentional about that and i think we're attempting to do that with center cuts as well as far as our guests being from different fields genders ages etc so when she died, I made this vow that that I can't do everything she did, but I could do part of her work. Mm-hmm. I could keep part of her work alive. And one way that I could do it was with the radio show. Right. You know, I could help support local musicians and local bands the way she did. Right. Um, and so that became a real mission for me. Plus, Anne started, helped start KKFI. She was one of the people who helped start the radio station. And... Uh, along with recycled sounds. I mean, she just was an instrumental person in our community. And so through her inspiration and also through Abigail Henderson, I I like really wanted the, the show to be the place to support the community. Mm-hmm. And I learned... Which really it quick, does. And I learned really quick that, you know, we don't call it a scene. I'm sorry. It's not a scene. It's a community. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and then as I started doing this... I became accepted by that community mm-hmm. and really found out just really what the community is about and realized how beautiful it is. You it's know, home. How, how, how open armed, you know, I love you, bro. You know, yeah. it's just a really, yeah. it's a really incredible community to be a part of. And I'm proud to be a radio show that helps support that. And it's just, I mean, it, there's so many different parts of our community that keep the community going, whether it be the musicians, the labels, the studios, the record stores. Right. You know, there's a whole right. network that keep it going.
Welcome back to Center Cuts. We are down to our last two episodes. We just heard from Sarah Bradshaw, the Bridges Music Coordinator. We listened to a little bit of Bretton Cook's episode six segment. Bretton's the owner of Haymaker Records. And we just wrapped that up with Mark Manning from KK5 and Wednesday Midday Medley, among many other roles that Mark serves. And we've got our last two for you. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, we were fortunate again to have Rhonda Lyon from the Midwest Music Foundation join us. Rhonda talks a little bit about her start with the foundation, what led her to getting involved, and really talks about the mission of the foundation, really encapsulates it really beautifully there. And then our last episode of the year, we were back with Michelle Bacon and her Station to Station program. It was their second episode. And for her episode, she invited in Stephanie Williams, who you probably know as the amazing drummer for Katie Gian and the Girls, Katie Gian and the Drive. She's played in a ton of other groups. She talks mm-hmm. about, Stephanie talks about her early interest in drums. And I think, really fittingly, she talks about the importance of mental health in general in society and how it's not an easy topic to talk about, but especially how it impacts artists and how they need support at all times. Absolutely. Yeah. What led you to becoming involved with the Midwest Music Foundation? Well, when I moved up here in 2007, um, Abigail got diagnosed with cancer shortly after that. It was like six months or so, and I helped with the first benefit. Um, the first apocalypse meow was for Abby, and so I was part of the crew that helped with that. And Tony Laddish actually came up with the name Apocalypse Meow. I was thinking Abigailia, but Apocalypse Meow is a much better name, so I'm glad he did that. And um, Abigailia, the Abigailia, love <laughs> it. Um, but um, so yeah, we had that first benefit back in 2008, and they'd had these inklings of starting a foundation. I remember one year at Crossroads Music Festival, they had their little notebooks and they were asking people about insurance. Because when Abby was down in New Orleans, she had a hernia and she went to the musician's healthcare clinic down in New Orleans and she's like, Kansas City needs something like this. So they wanted to do something like this. When Abby got cancer, it was like, yeah, we really need this because, you know, when musicians get sick, they don't have insurance or they have these catastrophic plans with $5,000 deductibles. Um, So the need really became evident then. So that night at Apocalypse Meow, she swore, you know, because we had so many bands that wanted to play that first event, we ended up doing three nights. So she swore she'd give back, and the foundation kind of started from that. I was pretty much at the beginning, I was just supposed to be the membership coordinator or some little position. And then I kind of, as people left, I kind of moved up the ranks, I guess. And when Abby passed, um, kind of took over. Um, basically, I guess I'm the only one that's really good at spreadsheets. I don't know. I just kind of fell into it. Um, and then both Sandra and I, when Abby passed, we made her a promise to keep it going. And I'm proud that we've been able to grow a little bit each year. So we're still, you know, compared to a lot of nonprofits, small, but, you know, every year we've grown a little bigger. And this year's actually been our biggest year with the COVID fund. We've given out over $100,000 as of today. I've just got three applications today. It'll put us over 100000 which are, just yeah. for this year? The, just in the COVID fund, 
We've given out some from Abby's fund on top of that, um, kind of in perspective, our whole budget last year was 120,000. So um, it's been a huge year for us, but a lot of that was, you know, Chris Hagarian, they put together that KC bands together, Victor and Penny did that live stream and they raised a lot of money. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to give out this much. So a lot of the fundraising efforts this year, the only reason we've been able to do that. Both, both those events were uniquely special in, in their own ways. I think that, you know, Chris and I were just talking about starting something, <laughs> measuring these small steps that you take. You, you've just have to, had to have seen so many changes. This is the 13th year for Apocalypse Meow? Yeah. It's incredible. Can you give the audience a, just a general overview of the goals of the foundation? You get kind of did. I put Brent Cook on the spot a few episodes ago. <laughs> he felt like he flubbed it, but I don't think he did at all. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, our main one is basically just supporting artists in any way. Abby truly believed that you should be able to have music be a viable career. It shouldn't be a hobby. You should be able to make a living. So we've kind of put, you know, the healthcare fund is definitely, I think, where a lot of our efforts go. And I think that's what people relate to the most and seem to want to give to the most because anybody can relate to having someone that's been in the hospital and couldn't pay these gigantic bills. And obviously we can't either, but we give them just, you know, a small grant to help them with their immediate needs. And that gives them some time to apply for some government assistance and other things that are going to take a lot longer. That's something we, we try to make it as easy and simple and as quick as we can. So usually when we get a healthcare application in from Abby's fund, I send it out to all the board. We all vote by email. Um, you know, if it's someone we don't know, I'll check all the references and things like that. And usually within a week, we have a decision and a check cut. Um, and then I have a whole list of resources that I can send them to after that. There's the National Organization Music Cares that's helped out artists, you know, when we kind of max out with what we can give to each person. Um, there's just some other funds, but they just, are a little more involved in the paperwork and take a little longer because it is a national organization and they're a lot bigger than us. So they have a lot more to go through. Um, so that's kind of our main thing. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we do Midcoast Takeover down in Austin. Um, obviously this year we didn't. Next year it looks like South by is gonna be virtual. So we won't go down there again. I don't know what the future holds for that or any big festivals. Um, but we started that as just a way to promote Kansas City musicians on a national stage. A lot of the bands aren't known outside of Kansas City, and it gives them experience touring and putting on a showcase and hopefully getting their music in front of people like booking agents, um, TV spots, and things like that. So just giving them an opportunity to play for a larger um, audience than they would hear. Um, we also have an educational arm. A lot of that we've partnered. Um, we send people to Artist Inc. and some other groups that are kind of more equipped for that. We used to do a legal boot camp for musicians with the KCVLAA. Um, they're the Kansas City Volunteer Lawyers and Accountants for the Arts. So they used to help us with that. We just decided there's a lot of groups like Artist Inc. that are really good at doing the educational side. And then Nick Carswell does Mix Master every year. So we've kind of partnered with more of them rather than try to do our own events. But those are kind of the three, the three main areas is just promotion of Kansas City and Midwest artists, education, and our healthcare fund. 
That was perfect. Good job. Good job. I hope we can, can share that with other organizations. I make you repeat yourself. I'm sure you've explained that before. I know you've been playing drums for a really long time. That's always been your passion, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've wanted to play the drums literally as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to go to shows in uh, Branson, Missouri a lot with my, <laughs> with my grandparents and my parents. And I was always drawn to the drummer, whereas, you know, other kids may have paid more attention to the singer, dancers up front or the guitar player. I was I specifically watched the drummers the entire time. And... Um, so yeah. what do you think it was that drew you to it? I genuinely don't know. It's the <laughs> one thing in my life that I, I can't in, in any way logically explain. I just, I saw it and I liked it. <laughs> um, I loved it. And I, I just never let go of that desire to get my hands on them and, and, and play and be a part of that world. I, I just, I felt like there was something special about the drummers that I saw when I was younger uh, because I couldn't explain what was drawing to me to them. I don't know what it was. I just, I loved it. Yeah. Love so, at first sight. <laughs> so when did you actually start playing? I started playing, um, I got a drum set just before my 12th birthday. And then we left and went on a vacation <laughs> right after I got the first kit. And I remember being so disappointed. Like I did not want to go on this vacation because I finally <laughs> got that thing I wanted. Um, so yeah, I, I, I tolerated the vacation, <laughs> got home. It was, I'm sure it was great, but yeah, I got home and uh, I was, I was done. That was, that was it for me. I was like, this is, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is what I love. And uh, I started taking lessons with a guy named Dave Jarman in Blue Springs, who was fantastic um, and very patient because I was young and didn't like to practice what he told me to practice, you know, <laughs> just trying to play along with my CDs. But then I, yeah, I played in high school uh, thanks to Kent Roush, who's actually uh, Colin and Kyle Roush from the Shy Boys. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their dad. He's, to this day, I, I am so grateful to him. He's one of the main reasons that I'm playing, that I'm doing what I'm doing, and that I've had any of the opportunities I've had uh, because I, I actually was <laughs> sort of forced to pick a different instrument in middle school because I hadn't had piano lessons. Did you play saxophone? Yeah, yeah, I did because I was like, okay, well, if I can't play the drums, which they said wasn't allowed, uh, I want to play the next coolest instrument that you can possibly play in a in a uh, you know like a wind symphonic band setting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, saxophone, obviously. Like, there's the California Raisin guy. He plays. <laughs> of course. Yeah, he's got they got sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, he's the it's, coolest. It was for the sure. second coolest in my opinion, <laughs> and I'd say in a lot of people's. I mean, no one's yeah. everyone, but it's a cool instrument. It is. But it wasn't. Yeah, I, w- I wasn't passionate about the saxophone, but I, I am <laughs> glad that I was in a way forced to do that because, you know, I I learned a lot about reading music and understanding beyond just uh, rhythmic playing, like understanding, mm-hmm. you know, notes and being able to read that sort of thing. Because I played saxophone in middle school, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really set up to, to play drums at any point in school, but I went in, just sort of blindly auditioned um, with this piece that I'd practiced forever. Like, <laughs> I went in and I did a lot better than I actually was, I think, in this audition mm-hmm. with, with Kent Roush, and he gave me a chance, and I really sucked. Uh, <laughs> I was bad, <laughs> and I feel terrible for, you know, the guys on the line that were like, put this freshman on the snare line, and now we suck. But I worked really hard uh, to deserve to be there, and that that gave me the, my, the first time that something 
drove me to, to really want to be better was that. So that's, yeah, that's where, I, that's where I learned pretty much everything that I use today. Yeah. Was that, that uh, Blue Springs High School? There is a major, 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 at least correlation between mental health issues and creatives. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yes. Musicians, artists, um, anybody who is putting themselves out into the world mm-hmm. in, in any sort of creative way, there is a, a, a high chance, you know, that there are, are mental health issues at play. I, I was trying to do some actual research for, for this podcast, um, and just the first thing that I, that I found that, that really kind of like stood out to me, um, Spotify for Artists, actually, mm-hmm. they, they put out the results of a study. They'd collected information on, I think it was 1,500 musicians, and they found that 73% of independent working musicians mm-hmm. had some, some level, some severity of, of mental health symptoms. <laughs> And I said the main ones were uh, anxiety, depression, symptoms of those. Um, got them. Got them. <laughs> check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an issue that is, it's it's personal for me. It's personal for a lot of people. And there's a number of reasons why it's not addressed properly. Um, I mean, down to just the basic, you know, the, the stigma surrounding mental yeah, illness. Absolutely. You know, people don't necessarily want to talk about those things mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Lack of resources. Things like health insurance coverage and the, the lack of access to that for musicians, it's mm-hmm. huge. And I know there are organizations that work very hard, like MMF, to yeah, help absolutely. musicians mm-hmm. with their health needs. I think what is very much lacking in the music scene locally and you know beyond that is access to things like therapy, um, right. psychiatry, medication treatment mm-hmm. for creatives who, like I said, are some of the most... Uh, likely people out there to have the need for those resources and the least likely to have access to them. Right, because when you're a working musician, that's your job, and so you're a contract employee, so you're not going to have maybe any kind of insurance anyway. Yeah, it's a challenge, and it's one that I'm experiencing firsthand right now, where Mm -hmm. I I left my my day job, uh, the the case management position in November of 2019, thinking like, I'm doing it, I'm going full time. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Nailed it again, timing, uh, because COVID. But it's something that I've noticed is that it is very hard to find any sort of support for, for, for mental health issues. And I think there's so much more common now because of COVID and the things that go along with that, like isolation and something, again, that I've noticed is just sort of a, a lower motivation or desire yeah. to create. Right. And then because of that, it's in a way makes a person feel even more depressed because they're mm-hmm. yeah, not putting out that content. Feeds, that, yeah, yeah, it feeds off of... Yeah, or they're not being as productive as they would like to be. With my 
Welcome back to Center Cuts. Thank you so much. We just wrapped up a couple of greatest hits there from our last two guests. We had on episode eight, Rhonda Line from the Midwest Music Foundation and Stephanie Williams, amazing drummer, musician here in Kansas City. And we just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. It's been an amazing, interesting, wild, incredible, still disbelief 2020. Mm-hmm. Chris and I are both shaking our heads here. We have yeah. high hopes for 2021. I do. Yeah. And I know Chris has also started a venture. We want to talk a little bit about that, Chris, here at the end. Uh, yeah, I started a party invite with a few people here in Kansas City uh, to try to just make a more inclusive and less toxic uh, gaming community uh, for people to come into. Uh, maybe they're new to gaming or maybe they have been, um, don't feel like they can really talk to anybody about uh, uh, video games or, or don't have uh, people to talk to about them and want to. Uh, they can go over to Party Invite on Facebook, on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. All those things were there. Um, it's uh, We've done... Oh man, I'm gonna mess up this number. I believe nine episodes, mm. and uh, we're going. It's it's starting. It's you know we've only been doing it for about two months, but uh, just a little over two months. Uh, but I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, what we've been able to do. Uh, we were able to raise nine hundred twenty-five dollars for uh, KU Pediatrics through Extra Life, and uh, with the help of Crane Brewing Company. Um, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been good so far, but you know, just starting out, so still climbing the hill. Love it, Chris, and yeah. I think the fact that you are focused on or considering including as many voices as possible in the gaming community really aligns with what Center Cut's trying to do as far as our artists. Yeah, Mark talked about that in his guest with KKFI, Midwest Music Foundation. I mean, really, if anything, coming out of twenty twenty, it's it's made us realize the importance of empathy of considering others' positions, of considering other people's voices. Doesn't mean we always have to agree, but respecting other people, trying to find some commonality where we can agree and move forward. We are looking forward to a great 2021. We already have a couple of fantastic guests lined up, but we'll hold off on that for now. Excited to have Michelle partnering with us for more Station to Stations. And we've got some other ideas in the works too, uh, potentially getting some of our artists involved to bring their guests on too, maybe more of an artist focus. So. Thanks for your support this year. We're super excited. Like Chris said, with Party Invite, we're just getting started. And uh, with your support, we'll continue to keep the flame alive. Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out. Peace. That was it, man.